Well, amen. It's a great reminder through song of our anchor, our hope. No matter what we endure in this world, Christ is our anchor. He is our ballast of assurance, and we give thanks to him. If you will, this morning, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 4, 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John is toward the end, the, the back of the, the Bible, the, near the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're new to us, we have been working our way through this, this uh, short letter of the New Testament for a number of weeks now, and we find ourselves today in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As you find your way there, I want to read God's Word. These are words that Apostle John wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. John writes the, the following. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, we desire to not only know, but to embrace joyfully the spirit of truth. So Father, would you teach us today that we might know truth, and that we might walk in it, and that we might please you by it. So help us now as we consider these words from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in a test community quite literally. Many of you, either directly or indirectly in some way of support, do tests for a living as you support the Navy, the Marines, the government, and all the testing that is done in this community. They're on base, whether, I mean, there's a number of different types of tests. I don't know my terminology. I don't know all of the lingo that you know, many of you, but Think about all the testing that is done in a given week in this community, whether it's with engines or software or hardware or electronic systems or wings or things, landing gear and all the rest. We literally live in a testing community. And that's important work. Testing is critical. It's essential work for both the safety of our military personnel and the effectiveness of the missions that take place. As Christians, we all are called to take part in testing, not necessarily aircraft testing, but something far more important. 
So far through the letter of 1 John, he has identified a number of tests that we are to engage in on a regular basis. He's, he's identified a number of these. He's identified certain doctrinal tests. What is it that we believe about Jesus? We believe the truth about him or are we like the antichrist that have rejected the truth about Jesus against him? There are moral tests. There's a moral test in this, this letter as we think about what it means in walking obedient, obediently with Jesus. Are we living faithfully? Are we following him? Are we striving to keep his commands? Recently, we saw a relational test, part of which these tests are given by which we can be confirmed in our faith, recognized as true believers, a relational test. We saw that that comes through loving one another. Are we loving others in the likeness of Jesus? Do we love generously, sacrificially? It's a relational test. And today we return somewhat to a doctrinal test, or maybe we could better call it a discernment kind of test. As John very clearly in verse one says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Apparently many in the church in John's day, as we've seen already and referred to already, had been accepting certain teachings about God, about Jesus in particular, that were not in step with the truth and they had been leaving the truth, the church. And thus here his warning reiterates this, this calling that believers have to make sure that they're believing the truth in regards to Christ, the gospel, etc. And so thus his warning, not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. If we were to summarize John's main point in these verses, we would basically say the following, that as followers of Jesus, we need to be discerning with regard to truth and error. And John gives us four things to consider as we strive to be discerners of the truth. We're gonna see a need, we're gonna see a test, we're gonna see a promise and a result. A need, a test, a promise, and a result. So as we think about this calling that we have to test the spirits, let's consider first the need. We see in verse one, John not only exhorts believers to testing, he gives us the reason why. He shows us the need, the cause for this. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Why should we do that, John? Well, he tells us, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. He said this earlier in chapter two, verse 18, when he said, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Antichrist meaning, meaning against Christ, those who are denying the truth about Jesus. He's saying the reason it's important for God's people to be discerning with regard to what is true, what is from God, is because there are many peddlers of error i.e. false prophets in the world. Now you hear this, this term he gives in verse one, do not believe every spirit, lowercase spirit, test the spirits, lowercase spirit there. What does he mean by spirit? What's a spirit? Well, he's talking about 
truth and error and that which is behind it, motivating it. He's basically saying that that which is true and that which is false is spiritually motivated. You have teachers who are demonically inspired and motivated, and you have teachers who are inspired, motivated by the Holy Spirit of God. And John's saying, test it all. Make sure that you understand what it is that's behind those who are communicating certain teachings. And John says, you need to make sure you know which one is which. Remember the context he's addressing. Many have left the church and followed wrong teachings about Jesus. Now they were no longer, they, they, they went out from us, verse 19 of chapter two, because they were not of us. For if they had, had been of us, they would have continued, but they went out to make it clear, to make it plain that they are all not of us. That's what's been going on in John's day. People are leaving the church because they're no longer believing the truth about Jesus. And now and again in chapter four, he said, listen, you need to be good testers. Test the spirits. Well, we know that from our day, in our day, from John's day, not much has changed, right? There have been false prophets, false teachers in every age since the fall. It shows up in various forms, but false teaching is something that we must be careful to consider today. We must be walking in step with these instructions here in chapter four, verse one, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The problem in John's day and often in our day is there seems to be a tendency among many, many Christians to ascribe any type of spiritual claim or religious claim as right or true. We could say it this way, if I was being less generous, there's a lot of gullible Christians out there today. They hear something, it sounds good, and they got Jesus kind of attached to it, and so they just believe it, must be true. But brothers and sisters, just because someone has an emotional argument or an emotional response or makes a quote truth claim or has some kind of experience does not mean that the truth is present. I think of a number of examples where we see this rampant today. I think about the prosperity gospel that has taken so many captive to its deadly errant teachings destructive doctrine in the name of Christianity and millions upon millions upon mil millions of people have fallen prey to it. They're filling buildings, stadiums full of such thing. Prosperity gospel is a dangerous thing. Shai Lin, he's a Christian rapper, been a pastor as well. He wrote a song, a rap called False Teachers. I'm not gonna rap it for you, but I'm gonna quote from, from it because I think he's getting to the heart here in this, this song of what we see oftentimes today. He says this, he says, I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kinda like a pyramid scheme Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. 
It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they not be convicted treating Jesus like a lottery ticket? And brothers and sisters, that is happening day after day, week after week, and thousands are being taken captive to the prosperity gospel. We know that there are others, cults. Listen, some of the most devout religious people you will ever meet go to Mormon churches, Jehovah Witnesses churches, buildings, gatherings, whatever they call themselves. Some of the kindest, generous, devout people you will meet. And you will think, some people think, well, I mean, how can you not be more devout than that? They talk about Jesus, it must be right. I don't know if this is true, but this is years ago, a statistic that Southern Baptists were, were one of the highest converts to Mormonism. I think about liberalism, not political liberalism. We're talking about within the church, faith communities that deny the authority of scripture, that lack clarity on the gospel, that meet in the name of Jesus and yet are not anchored in Christ. Listen, my point is this, not everything you hear and see, even in the name of Christianity, is right. There are many peddlers of error that goes against the truth of God and the gospel today, and we need to be aware of that. Do not believe every spirit. Do not believe everything you hear. Test the spirits. Test that which is driving the teaching to make sure you know that's from God. Error continues to spread like a virus all around us and we need to be properly protected against it. Which leads me to the next point. How do we have that kind of protection? How do we protect ourselves against falsehood? Well, there's a test John gives us. It's not the only test, but it's an important test. He says, don't believe every spirit, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, verse two, by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So this is the test John gives us. He gives us a primary test to understand how we can know, at least initially, a way of knowing what is true from what is false. And we could say this is the Jesus test. He points to the biblical teaching of the incarnation when the Son of God became a man. When the eternal Son of God became a man. In other words, any acknowledgement of Jesus is not sufficient. I mean, Muslims acknowledge Jesus, a Jesus of their own making. So any, anybody that just says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, that's not sufficient. Well, what do you believe about Jesus is an important question we must press further. You need to believe in the Jesus of scripture as he's been revealed 
the fact that he is truly God and he is truly man. I think when John holds forth this as a main factor of discerning what is true from what is false, he also is emphasizing the salvation-centric purpose of Jesus' coming in the flesh. He came in the flesh, he was incarnate, comes in the flesh to accomplish our redemption. To accomplish God's redemptive purposes by living as a man and dying on a cross in the place of sinners. Now apparently there had been some in the early Christian community who had initially professed Christ only to walk away from him. There were uh, errant teachings going on such as uh, Gnosticism and other errors that had denied the full humanity of Christ. Coming up with some crazy, crazy things about Jesus. They, They said, well, he wasn't really human. He wasn't really a man. And John's saying, no, he, he came in the flesh. That's a primary test. Like you, you, you need to understand who he is. John is saying this is a core test of Christian orthodoxy. You get Jesus wrong and everything else will fall apart. If you don't hold firmly to the doctrine of the incarnation, the fact that the eternal son of God becomes a man and lives life as a man in this world to accomplish the redemptive purposes of God, if you don't recognize both his identity and his mission, you will end up on a wrong path. There are many, many examples of errant views about Jesus. Some, again, oftentimes we've seen this in John's day that some would say, well, he's a spirit being, he's not flesh. Some have taught throughout the history of the church and certainly even today, this is prominent among Jehovah Witnesses in particular, that, that Christ was a, he's the first created being. He's not eternal, but he was created, but he's the first created being. Or some will even say that Jesus is an angel. Some will say that Jesus is technically the same as the Father. But now as he walks in the, the, it's kind of like now Jesus goes from father mode, or God goes from father mode to son mode, and now he's at God in the flesh. And so it's, 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 a, it's a view called modalism, that God just kind of morphs into different modes throughout the history of humanity. He was the father at creation, and throughout the Old Testament, now in the New Testament, he's the son, and now when Jesus returns, he's now the spirit. And so it's kind of one God and one mode at a time. He's not all three in one. And by the way, there are prominent ministries even here locally that hold to that kind of teaching about God. Very prominent in oneness Pentecostal movements where they deny the truth about Jesus. Some will say that Jesus is a social revolutionary. He came to be a benevolent leader to do good and to fight injustice. And he did come as a benevolent leader. He did speak out against injustice and sought to encourage his people to love the world and to care for the vulnerable and the poor, those who were broken, but he came to do much more than that. He came as God in the flesh to bring hope to the world. Other religions believe in Jesus as a prophet, a great prophet among many others. 
And most of these views still exist today in some form. And so if you're not careful, you can maybe become friends with some of these people who are comfortable talking about and affirming Jesus by name, but they're denying his identity and his mission as God in the flesh to bring about redemption. And so this test that John gives is critical. It's critical. Whenever we are testing a teaching, the big question, John says, we need to first explore is what do they claim about Jesus? What are they saying about Jesus? I think that's, that's a good question. It's not the only question we should ask. So don't think that John said, well, there's just one thing that we need to ask about and be, we're done. No, that, but it's a main thing. It's a primary thing. So when you begin to hear teachings and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. What do they say about Christ? John's saying, you need to explore that. Now, just like many things in life, there tends to be two ends of the spectrum when it comes to testing for truth. On one end, there are many who are gullible, naive, maybe not well-equipped or informed, and they accept everything that seems spiritual. And I think John's concern here was towards many of them that, what, that, that believers need to be discerning. They don't need to believe everything they hear. Just because it looks or sounds good doesn't mean it's necessarily good. And so he's speaking to those who may just be kind of a wide open, let me, let me just kind of take everything. I mean, they seem to love Jesus, must be right. He said, no, you need to test. You need to test for truth. What do they teach about Jesus? What? You need to ask more questions. I think that's the main point. Now I think on the other extreme, I think it's just something I wanna mention in passing, is that some Christians go to a, the opposite extreme and they want to define Orthodox Christianity more narrowly than the Bible does. And I'll just be honest with you, I think this is a danger within reformed circles, especially like ourselves. We want to, to narrow it down and we begin discerning things and we begin redefining Christian orthodoxy based upon secondary or tertiary matters. And that's not helpful. We need to be discerning, but we need not redefine Christian orthodoxy based upon our own view of how we think Christianity ought to look. We need to be very committed and devoted to what the Bible says and not go beyond it. Be careful that you don't draw unnecessary boundaries. John keeps this test here to the primary doctrine of the incarnate Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, as an important test for discerning truth from error. He basically says you get Jesus wrong and you get the center of all theology wrong. The Bible's about Jesus. It points to him in the Old Testament it reveals him in the New Testament. And you get him wrong, you get all of that wrong and, and you're going to be on a path of error and destruction. Test the spirits and hold Jesus as that primary test. Number three, we see a promise. We've seen a need, we've seen the test, we've seen a promise now in verse four. Once John calls his readers to be discerning about the truth due to many false teachers roaming about, he seeks to reassure them. 
This is one of the things that John does so well here, and I think throughout this letter, is he's wanting to assure, he's wanting to encourage, he's not writing this letter to kind of beat them down and to make them question everything and to wonder, am I even a Christian? He's writing to like say, no, here's how you can know you're a Christian. Be encouraged, keep persevering in that, keep believing the truth about Jesus. You see it even in his language here. In verse one, you see it, beloved. Verse four, little children. He's, he's, he has this dear, endearing pastoral heart for these people. He's wanting to reassure them. Again, these little children to whom he is writing are Christians who have remained with Jesus. And in verse four, he says this. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That's a strong statement. He's warning in verses one through three, listen, don't believe everything you hear, test the spirits, make sure you understand that the truth flows from God and that that his plan to redeem the world by sending his son into the world, incarnate Christ is part of that plan, central to that plan and you get that wrong. You get a lot wrong. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the Antichrist, the people who deny Jesus. Again, these early believers could have been easily tempted to be fearful or overwhelmed even with all that John was saying. But while he does warn them, while he does exhort them, he is writing to also encourage them. You are from God and have overcome the the Antichrist, them, they, they, referring to those who are against Christ. These verbs point to a victory, not one that's merely passing, but one that is decisive and continual in nature. It's the sense of these verbs. You have overcome. Yes, in the past, but it's an ongoing truth that's true about you. And then John does something that's very critical to this encouragement. He tells them why it is that they have remained faithful and had overcome the false teachers. He doesn't just say, little children, it's okay. Be testers, make sure you know right from wrong, truth from error. By the way, you have overcome, you are from God. Now he goes further than that and tells them why it is that they have overcome. And he tells them very clearly, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John is saying the reason you have persevered in the truth, the reason you remain in Christ, the reason you abide in Christ, the reason you believe the truth about Jesus, the reason you can know you're from God is because of he who is in you. The presence of God by the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital to the believer's perseverance in truth. He who is greater, is he, he's the one that, that, that assures our hearts before God. Brothers and sisters, this is good news and great encouragement in the life of the believer. Think of all that John's been encouraging. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Abide in him. Love one another. All of these commands that we've seen throughout the letter could have easily been overwhelming in, in its impact had it been left up to the will of the believer. You think about all that John has said. We could go to the whole Bible. Let's just stick with 1 John, right? Make sure you keep believing the truth. Make sure you know what is true 
versus what is wrong. Make sure you love one another. Beware of the Antichrist. All these, all these things that we've been, been learning in, in 1 John and had that just merely been up to their willpower, not one of them would have endured. And the same is true for us, friends. There is a reminder here in verse four of why it is we can and do persevere in the truth. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's why. Don't for one second take credit for your right belief in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is doing that in you. When all these things come at you in the world and you are holding fast to Christ, you're abiding in Christ, you're persevering and, and walking with him and despite all that's coming at you, you fall down, you get back up and you, you keep going, you keep believing, do not for a second say, I did that. John is saying, no, you didn't do that. The reason you're believing, the reason you're persevering, the reason you're abiding is because of he who is in you. Just remember, friends, the fact that you have believed in Christ, the fact that you believe and persevere in this truth is a testimony to the preserving work of the Holy Spirit of God. You can find this as an encouragement, as an encouragement to where you are today as a Christian. You can also find it as an encouragement in times of trial and temptation. If he who is in you, Holy Spirit of God, if he who is in you is greater than he, the God of this world, little g, the evil one, the devil, if he is, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, then what have you to fear? When you're tempted to doubt, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to grow weary and be discouraged and anxious and fearful, remember the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, you are not an overcomer because you are smart and strong. You are an overcomer because God is sovereign and God is strong. That is why, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We see this promise. Yes, he's given us a test. Yes, he's saying, make sure you're discerning about what is true from what is wrong. Be wise in that. Hold it up to Christ. Does it, does it fit the truth about who Jesus is? And by the way, remember when you do get it right, it's because the Holy Spirit of God in you, making sure you get it right and keeping it right. And when you're tempted to bail on all of that and you don't, remember it's because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then finally, we see a result. As John speaks about all of this, he, he draws somewhat a concluding thought here in verses five and six by way of a contrast again. He's, he's good throughout this letter about giving contrasts. And again, he kind of shows the result of those who believe the truth and those who believe error. And he's making a distinguishing point between the two. And he begins in verse five with those who would be of those who would follow the false prophets, those who would believe what is wrong. In verse five, he says, they are from the world, again, the antichrist, those who are against Christ, those who believe what is wrong. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. 
In essence, those who don't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, these are not from God, they're from the world. Those who believe wrongly about Jesus of the world, and the world here in this sense is this, this evil system that has fallen prey and fallen captive to the evil one. They speak from the world and the world listens. There's points of application here. When we think about the distinction between those who are redeemed and those who remain in their sins, there are two types of people in the world, saved, lost. There's not this middle ground of trying to figure it out. You're either redeemed or you're not. And that's what verses five and six are saying. There are people of the world and there are people of God, people of the truth, people of error. And so when we look at the world and lost people are acting like lost people, they're believing wrong things and acting in ungodly ways, it shouldn't be a shocker, right? I mean, we shouldn't be like blown away by ungodliness. Lost people have a worldview that's shaped by the world, a belief system that governs what they say, teach, and do. Their beliefs are not shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even when some of them try to align themselves up with the truth, it becomes very clear how distorted their views of Jesus are when they deny simple primary truths about him, like the fact that he came in the flesh. But, verse six, John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Very straightforward, right? By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John says we are from God. How do we know that? Because true believers listen to us. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Who's us? Some say it's John and the apostles. Others say it's John and the church in general, teaching that the church is embraced. Either way, John is recognizing that his teaching about Jesus in line with apostolic teaching is what should be trusted, what God has revealed to us through the scriptures. Again, he's drawing a line in the proverbial sand showing that those who are of God believe the truth about God, listen to us, listen to the, 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 the apostles, the apostolic teaching, and those who don't, don't. <laughs> they don't believe the truth. That divide is represented here by those who accept the teaching which John was heralding versus those who do not. Think about that, friends. We, in John's day, they didn't have the full canon of Scripture. They didn't have the, the, full, the complete Old and New Testament. Today we have the full canon, we have the Old and New Testament. We live in a greater advantage than John's readers. And this authoritative standard is what sets us apart from the world. When we listen to the word of God and align our lives in alignment with it, the truth of the gospel and what its implications for our lives mean, then it means we're from God. And when we abandon the authority of scripture, it means that we are of the world. There's a great contrast. 
This test will often reveal that contrast, won't it? Well, church, let's be reminded that here in 1 John chapter 4, we are being exhorted and encouraged. We're exhorted to be a discerning people to make sure that we're testing the things that we hear against the truth of who Jesus is. There are spirits, quote unquote, that propagate falsehood and there is a Holy Spirit that leads us in the truth. And we need to know one from the other, test the spirits. The key to testing is knowing what people believe and teach about Jesus. That will say a lot about the rest of what they believe. There are many who claim to speak in the name of God, the name of Jesus. As we've said, false teachers fill buildings weekly, deceiving people into following a Jesus of their own making, not, a, not the Jesus of scripture. And John says, brothers and sisters, be able to know the difference. Be able to know the difference. And when you do, by the way, remember, it's because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember that. So test the spirits, beloved. Be encouraged that you are from God and have overcome those who deny the truth. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this word. We're grateful for this exhortation, this reminder, this word of encouragement even. We're thankful, Lord, that we can be reminded that we need to be alert, we need to pay attention, that we need to not just embrace every spiritual claim or every experience or everything, any, anything anyone would say in the name of Jesus, that we need to be sure about that. And Father, we thank you that you've not left us on our own, in our own devices to try to figure out what is true from what is not. You've given us clarity. You've given us certain tests to hold up teaching to see whether or not it's from you. So Father, would you help us to, to utilize that, to, to, to be like the good Bereans there in Acts, that we would search the scriptures daily to, to see if what is being said is true and that we would hold up teaching to the truth about Jesus. And Father, would you help us to not only be diligent in that, but Lord, that we would also be encouraged. That as we persevere in the truth, that we can be reminded that that is not because we're smart or strong or capable. Lord, even here we're reminded that it is work of the Holy Spirit, the same one that has given us the truth is the same one that abides in us and leads us in that truth. So Father, would you help us to walk in the spirit in dependence upon you. Father, thank you for this word that we've been given today. Help us to, to hold fast to it and to be discerning. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.